Welcome back to Tuesday at Dobbs's. Apologies if the light starts getting dimmer and dimmer. It's, it's quite a late one for me actually. It's 8.30 when I'm starting this. I've only just finished filming the video I did earlier today, which is getting the car, the Fiat, prepared and getting its annual check done. Literally just finished filming that about 10 minutes ago and straight on to this. I'll begin by saying thank you to Excel Moto for sponsoring this week's episode. That's the one-stop shop for all things biking related. Whether you need aftermarket bits for your bike, whether you want to modify your bike or whether you want gear to wear, they've got the full spectrum of biking related products. Details in the written description below, so go and check them out. Now I continue with something pertinent. The ultra-low emissions zone in London is a huge new area that's going to be expanded massively at the end of August. And it means that there'll be increased, tighter restrictions on the kind of vehicles you're allowed to drive in the capital. What it means in essence, any vehicle within a huge area of London now from 2006 and older if it's petrol, will have to pay a £12.50 a day charge. And if it's diesel, it's 2016 and older. Any of those vehicles, £12.50 a day. The problem is that there are a lot of people living in these areas of London who will now, just for driving off their driveway, have to pay that £12.50 charge. But there is a slight loophole. And I don't know if loophole is the right word, but there is a way you can get around this. And I've mentioned it a few times, but it's really, really pertinent now because in two weeks time, this kicks in. In fact, in a week's time, it kicks in. Buy a vehicle, car or motorbike, that is 40 years or older in the UK, and you will not pay one penny in ultra low emission zone charges. They are exempt. You also won't pay a penny a year in tax. To give you an idea, the Bonneville's tax every year is about £120. Forget about that. You also don't have to have the annual check on your bike, the MOT. So you don't need to pay the £40 fee every year to get that done. And also you may well be entitled to historic cheaper insurance. Now here's the magic thing about this. We're now in a beautiful spot where 40-year-old motorbikes are starting to be quite good, quite appealing and quite reliable and possibly fairly close to usable everyday classics. I found my favourite too and I welcome anyone sharing their opinions on bikes that may be better. Have a listen to this. It is, what should I call these? Not, not recession busters but ULES busting, tax busting bikes available for the masses. Have a listen to this one. This is just superb. BMW R65, an iconic bike, 1982 model. This is on eBay, private seller. Historic vehicle, block capitals, great condition, 72,000 miles on the clock. Surely this is BMW at its very best. You just have to look at the description of this bike to tell that it's coming from a genuine seller. It may have big mileage, but for such an amazingly classic, beautiful workhorse such as this, it's got to be worth taking a punt on it. And at 2,600 pounds, with the potential savings that you could get on top of that, that's got to be picked up. In fact, the owner says here, just to summarize, great original condition, 
minor imperfections. It's got that beautiful patina on the tank. That's oh, a glorious thing. And one more, I had to get a Honda in here because I want to find the best usable classics. This is on Auto Trader. Honda CX500. My friend, Jamie, I think he's got one of these in pieces in a garage. Two and a half thousand pounds again for this bike. Two and a half grand with that lovely characterful little engine. This is, let's get this up here. A 1978 model. So way, way older than you actually need it. But 1978, just been serviced, had a new cam, chain, valve service, excellent bike, runs well. This is coming from a dealer, Jones & Alcock Limited in Staffordshire. So you can get a tax MOT, a new Les free bike from a dealer, Honda, for two and a half grand. Someone let me know how usable these old Honda and BMWs are as daily propositions. Am I, am I talking a lot of consumer sense here for people or is it not realistic to expect these bikes to be reliable on a daily basis? I move on. Oh, this is good. I had, I had three people sending me over. In fact, I think I had about eight people sending me over their great setups of where they keep their bikes. And I wanted to share my top three. This is just brilliant. How people keep their bikes, biking setups. This is from Simon. When I saw this email coming in from Simon, I thought, well, you, you must live in the US. This has got to be Texas or something. But no, Freddie, I live in Colchester and I thought you might like to see my man cave. This is just, Simon, brilliant. You're only about 20 miles away from me. What a setup. I can imagine this looks like something you would have had to spend, well, years working hard to save for the Harleys. The selection is superb. And then all of the, the badges, the memorabilia, covering every single wall with those tools set up there, Harley Davidson chair, old golf, oil drum. Oh, Simon, it's, it's perfect. I can imagine you must spend about eight hours a day in there, just sitting and enjoying it. That's, that's my kind of goal. I think that's superb. I love that. I'm moving on to Scott. Freddie, hello from Southern Oregon in the States. I personally have two very different bikes. I installed, oh, I'll put the pics up here as I talk because this is, this is work and pleasure, or work and pleasure, sorry, side by side. Freddie, I personally have two very different bikes. I installed a glass garage door in my office so that I could park them next to my desk and I love them for different reasons. I have a 2020 Ducati Multistrada that is exceptional in every way for long, enjoyable trips, for whipping through the beautiful curved mountain roads that we have here in Southern Oregon, for setting the cruise control at 120 miles an hour when I'm crossing Eastern Oregon and there's not even a jackrabbit or coyote to notice. US wildlife. I love the bike for the experience and not for the 160 horsepower that I will never fully use. I also have a 1971 Triumph Bonneville. Statistically, any new bike you can buy today is better in almost every way, but they don't make me feel the way that Bonneville makes me feel. 
Comparing statistics of one bike to another is like I'm at work comparing spreadsheets. It doesn't really matter if a bike has 150 or 160 horsepower because there are very few riders that can handle that much horsepower at full potential anyway. It's really about whether or not you love the bike and love the experience when you ride it. Some channels about motorcycles have forgotten, in my opinion, about the joy of motorcycling and everything that comes with that life. All motorcycles are cool, even the ones that are not to my taste. They are still cool. Completely agree, Scott. I'll wrap this little section up with Jamie. In fact, I went, didn't know this at the time, I just read this email about an hour ago. I went on the Highlands Scramble in Scotland and I was with Jamie's brother, Craig. I actually stayed in tents with Craig. He was the gentleman with the Ducati Scrambler. And this is Craig's brother, Jamie. Freddie, we unfortunately lost our dad this past March, unexpectedly. It hit us hard, but it's also made us appreciate the incredible life he lived and the amazing adventures he had photographing custom Harleys all over the world. Pictures up as I talk. The experience of a whole train of roaring Harleys following my dad's coffin was profound. It was to kick up the backside I needed to get my license done and get myself a bike. I have the most amazing memories of Harleys growing up and sitting pillion on my dad's shovel head. So with my direct access course passed at the end of July, I was free to start bike shopping. I have contemplated so many modern classics as possible first bikes, but I could not be drawn away from the pull of Harleys. And below is my first bike. I picked it up yesterday down in the Cornish Alps and rode it one hour home to Plymouth. It was the most incredible experience, incredibly emotional and just the most amazing ride. What a machine. It's a 2004 Harley Dyna Lowrider. It's taken pride of place at home where it can be ridden in and out easily and sits under a couple of my favorite pics of my dad's. I've had framed up and placed on the wall. Ride safe, Jamie. Jamie, that's brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. And so sorry to hear about your dad, but what, what experiences. Fantastic life he must have lived. I move on. Trips. From Adam in Wales. Freddie, I went on my first lads biking holiday recently on my Royal Enfield GT or Continental GT. Oh, these are lovely pics, Adam, actually. All three of us are from Wales, so no better place to do it than on our doorstep, spending four days taking in the beautiful sights of West and North Wales and riding the best roads I've seen in the UK. Snowdonia really is a biker's paradise. You don't need to travel far and spend loads of money to enjoy the freedom and pleasure biking can offer. It is criminal that you haven't been out there on your channel yet. I hope it changes soon. Adam, you're right. I cannot believe I haven't done a proper tour of Wales since I started the channel. And also, you're right, I often get amazed by the UK, Scotland, just how stunning the scenery can, scenery can be. And you really do not need to head far to experience a proper adventure. You can stay within 150 miles of home, camp out for a couple of nights, and it's just as magical. It really is just as magical as a longer trip. 
Moving on, why? Why is bike servicing more expensive than cars? This is a question I asked last week and I had so many interesting responses. I've tried to narrow it down to cover as many of the bases as possible. And the first one I found was, uh, was interesting because it went off on a slight tangent. And this is from Dale, but I found the tangent really interesting. Dale reads, I think because they seem to be classed as a luxury, everyone charges a premium because they think you can afford it. For example, I needed a rear tire for my Moto Guzzi V7 and I was expecting to pay quite a lot. Then, okay, get ready for this. Then I saw a Maxxis tire at £32.90. I googled it and saw it had good reviews. So I bought it and it's brilliant. Finally, a tire at a realistic price that does the job well. Dale, this is useful consumer advice. I'd never heard of these Maxxis tires, so I had a, a, few, a few minutes Google searching this. First of all, they seem to have perfectly respectable reviews. I would actually say good reviews. So I went on to blackcircles.com and I put in the tire size for my Bonneville. Interestingly, a Maxxis tire didn't come up in my search on blackcircles.com. The cheapest tire for my Bonneville, my rear tire, at time of me speaking, 81 pounds. So I thought, Dale, where is this cheaper Maxxis you speak of? And I couldn't find this Maxxis tire. In fact, I couldn't find many Maxxis tires on the standard tire shops. So what I did, I typed in Maxxis 130 slash 80 as a tire size, put it into Google and up popped on eBay immediately Maxxis 130-80-17 tyre, which is exactly mine. And the price, 34.99. This is 34.99 for a tyre that gets good reviews. It's had five-star reviews on eBay, for example. And it's car tyre level of cheap. So I did some more research. Have a listen. Maxxis, and I'm reading here on ctires.co.uk. Maxxis is a mid-range brand, started out as a budget tire, and because of the quality of the products, which has significantly improved over the years, we now class them as a mid-range tire. Maxxis is a Chinese manufacturer and has been making tires since 1970. So I highly recommend, if you're looking for a tire on the more budget end of the spectrum, and you're sick of paying huge amounts for tires, Go and check them out, Maxis. Type it into Google. I think you may be pleasantly surprised because I haven't seen anything negative about them. I move on. Dale, thank you. Really useful advice. On to Steve. Freddie, why are bikes dearer to service than cars? Well, in a word, it's valves. Most cars, in my experience, have hydraulic lifters, so no checks or adjustments. If it takes three slash four hours to remove all of the plastics and the tank etc to get to the valves then at 80 pounds an hour plus VAT that equals hundreds of pounds. Cars don't have that so cheaper. Steve, another Steve continues, servicing costs Freddie. Motorbikes are luxury items in the UK and Europe but in the Philippines where I live it's cheaper to service a bike than a car. 
A car here is a luxury item. Moving on to Jerry. Part of the problem with servicing costs is down to a complete lack of design input with regard to servicing time and cost. The car, sorry, I keep having to push this down. There's a loose shelf. The car industry has realized the benefits of reduced service costs in increased sales by designing systems that are easily accessed and replaced. We have a transmission system, chain drive in most cases where the major components are limited life items that need replacing on a regular basis, namely chains and sprockets. Not only that, but these items are not designed for easy replacement when you need to split the drive chain. Can you imagine car owners standing for this nonsense? Part of the issue is related to the high state of tune of many bike engines and the mechanical complexity and associated special tools the dealer needs to buy. It is time the bike manufacturers took a leaf out of the automotive designer's book and started to design in easy servicing before the cost of ownership drives people away. Yeah, i.e. make bikes or design bikes in a much, much more sensible way that you don't have to remove all of the fairings and often the tank just to get to the bit you want to service. I remember my Tramp Speed Triple, it was so tightly built in that to change the air filter and the spark plugs, you would have to remove the tank of the bike. Even the air filter, you had to remove the tank. I'll wrap this up because this is some interesting insight from Omniking. Freddie, my dad is co-owner of a motorcycle shop and he says the majority of bikes are more, uh, sorry, and he says the majority of bikes are more time consuming and difficult to service than any car. Although naked and retro bikes are fairly easy to work on, sports bikes are a nightmare to remove the plastic fairings, etc. as are most scooters actually especially the Chinese ones. All inline four-cylinder sports bikes require many of the plastics to be removed. A fuel tank and air box also have to come off just to get to the spark plugs. And even then, some are awkward to get out still. My Triumph, my Triumph Speed Triple, exactly the same even after taking the tank off, a nightmare getting to one of the spark plugs. I continue. Even tire changes on bikes are more difficult than on cars. Fronts have pinch bolts and require calipers to be removed. Rears need the caliper and chain off. Then you need to do the alignment chain tension when putting back. If you're lucky, the owner has looked after the bike and corrosion protected it regularly. If not, bolts are sometimes a nightmare and the head turns off at best or worst, it sheds or it shears, which causes more headaches. Unfortunately, when bikes are booked in for servicing over the phone, you have no idea what condition the bike is in until it arrives on the day. This is the reason bike servicing costs so much. As an example, I couldn't believe this. As an example, a genuine service for a 1,000cc sports bike may cost, let's say, 80 to 100 pounds, ballpark figure. If the bike is well looked after, it may take three hours. If not, it may take much longer. 
with costs of workshop overheads, rent, electricity, business rates, etc., wages, covering costs of equipment, tools, etc., etc., and many bikes requiring special tools or shaped spanners. A good example of this, or a good example of a thousand pound job. To replace a 20 pound part is Honda's NC750 Adventure commuter bike. The oil seal, where the shaft comes out of the gearbox and gear lever goes onto, is just 20 pounds. It's just a 20 pound part. But to replace it, you need to completely remove the engine from the bike and strip it to bits and split it into pieces as the seal is fitted from inside the engine three exclamation marks after that. Absolutely incredible. Completely agree, biking must be made much, much simpler. Some of the servicing costs I hear for the amount of labor needed to do bits that are standard servicing bits is just not good enough. The bikes have to be designed in a better way where everything is, is easy to get to. I just cannot believe it has to be so complicated for so many bikes. I move on to Spain. Freddy, I'm Elio from Seville, Spain. I'm a 45 year old man who recently discovered the joy of riding. I've got a V7 III Moto Guzzi and I've had it for four years and done. Good mileage, Elio. 55,000 kilometers. Plenty of smiles with this beauty. I'm in love with the engine. The 90 degree V-twin is glorious. What? a machine. But now I'm thinking of something bigger and I want something with the same character and the same type of transmission. That's the belt drive. It's essential that my future laughing machine is very comfortable. With my Moto Guzzi, I usually make 300 kilometer round trips twice a month. I've even done 700 kilometers in one day. The V7 is comfortable enough for me, but I would like more torque with, if possible, the same amount of character. The new Moto Guzzi V100 is just not for me. I've read the new engine is awesome, but its appearance is just not my kind. What do you think of the new BMW 90 Pure? I know you've tested both, and I think it's just what I need, more torque, but still comfortable. Okay, Elio, you've got the Moto Guzzi V7 III. That means it's the, tell me if I'm wrong, 52 horsepower one. That's the one just before the update in 2021 came along, which was 65 horsepower. So the new Moto Guzzi V7, and I'm saying this for a reason, is 65 horsepower, exactly the same as my Bonneville. You've got the Moto Guzzi V7 with 52 horsepower. Now, when I tested the Moto Guzzi with 52 horsepower, your one in Tenerife, I remember thinking it, it felt much, much closer to the Interceptor in terms of power. And that extra power that my Bonneville has, even though it's only 13 horsepower, it's a really noticeable amount. And a lot of people have said, have said who have swapped from one to the other that that has completely transformed the bike. And Elio, the reason I tell you this is because you're looking for a bike with more torque. Well, the R9T will tick the box for you, but you've also stated you want a bike that's more comfortable. And I would say the BMW R9T is less comfortable than the Moto Guzzi. It's got a very different feel to it. 
The Moto Guzzi V7 is sit back and relax and just soak in everything around you. It's old school feeling biking where you're, you're part of everything around you because you're not taken over by uh, an unbelievably dynamic machine. It has a very definite old feeling to it. The BMW R9T, whether it's the pure or the, the, the upper leveled versions, these are completely modern feeling bikes. They're sublime to ride, but they feel more akin in my eyes to a super naked with retro styling as opposed to a modern classic. That's the feeling of the bike. So while the BMW looks brilliant and it's a sublime bike to ride, you may not find it comfortable enough and you may find that it's slightly too aggressive for the kind of riding you're doing. So I actually would be quite tempted if I were you, Elio, go and check out and have a test ride on the brand new Moto Guzzi with 65 horsepower. Failing that, one other thing to check. I know you said you want belt drive, but just just go and check out the Bonneville T120 just to see what you think about it. I admit it won't be as easy to look after as a belt drive, but have a look. It could be the right bike for you. And if anyone else has any ideas, belt drive retro bikes that could replace the Moto Guzzi, let me know. Elio, good luck. Let me know what you go for. I move on to dealer etiquette. Freddie. I'd like to get your opinion on dealer etiquette. I currently own a similar bike to yours, a 2013 Bonneville SE. I'm in the market for a new bike as parts are no longer fully supported by Triumph. So I popped into Honda looking for a test ride and trade in against the new Transalp. Okay, so popped into Honda considering to trade in the Bonneville for the Transalp. Interesting. They were polite and gave me a bike, which was amazing, and a value of more than the Bonneville was worth. Overall, a very good experience. I then tried Yamaha, the Tenere, which was just too off-roady. Uh, and there was £250 less on the trade-in. But, again, pleasant. You break my heart here, Steve. But then I went to Triumph in Woburn. The guy came out looked at my Bonneville and absolutely slated it, saying, ah, bit of a Marmite bike these days. He asked me what my offers were and the lowest, uh, and what the lowest was from We Buy Any Bike that came out at £3,000. Initially, he didn't want to give me a price and said it'll be less than that as they would just give it to them anyway. He then just gave me a get out of my shop look and carried on with looking at his computer. So much for retaining a lifelong Triumph owner. I'm going to take my nine and a half thousand pounds and buy a new Trans app and not the Tiger Sport, which I did want. Ah, Steve, yeah, I've heard a few things like this. It's fascinating to hear your insight from it. Uh, I, I really hope things do improve slightly. And for interest and balance, I hear plenty of people who are happy with the Triumph dealer experience, but I do hear too many people saying they're not happy with the experience. I've got a friend actually at the moment currently, currently going through something 
with a, a used Triumph that he's trying to sort out. Um, so I hope, I hope things do improve. But these things have to be brought to the attention because if they're not, then nothing will improve. If this just goes under the radar, like your experience, Steve, then nothing will ever get improved. So people do have to know that there's an issue for something to improve. Otherwise, these bike dealers will just think that they can treat people badly and get away with it. And maybe that was the case 20 years ago in the biking culture that you could get away with talking like that, but you can't now. So I hope things change. So Steve, it's really important you bring that to our attention. I'll share one personal story, friend of mine. Just before he passed his test, he went into a Kawasaki dealership in North London. Walked into the dealership and he said, I've just passed, or sorry, I'm just about to pass my test. I've got my test next week. I just wanted to come in and have a look at what bikes there are and maybe get an idea about what I could buy when I pass my test. And the salesman in the Kawasaki dealership said to him, well, why don't you get out and come back when you've passed your test? We've had enough dreamers in here. Incredible. I've been so excited for this bit now. I'm really, really excited. This book, this bike has, has somehow just always, I think, dodged my mind. I don't know why, but let me give you a backstory here. This is Bike of the Week. I was in Valencia a week or so ago and I saw a beautiful BMW, really stunning. Here's a pic. And it was called the BMW R850 and it had a C around it. And I thought, what is this? glorious looking unusual bike. Typed it in and it's called the BMW R850C and I thought wow this is a lovely looking thing but there are so few in the UK. I think they only made them for about four years and then I saw hold on what's what's this? There's a BMW R1200C and this is a James Bond bike. This is Pierce Brosnan's bike in No Time, no, sorry, not No Time to Die, in Tomorrow Never Dies from 1997. A Bond bike that goes under the radar, that's extremely rare, and I think looks off the scale cool. Really unbelievably brilliant. It's completely wacky in its design, but it's so brilliantly unique and such a head turner of a bike that I think it goes almost to the very top of the tree with regards to, to cool levels of styling. It's a bike that excites me so much to look at. I, I genuinely want one myself. I want to buy this bike. I cannot tell you how much I like the look of this bike. It's, it's BMW's Cruiser of the 1990s. Let me give you an example, or let me give you an overview on this. From 1997 to 2005, this bike was made. MCN rated four out of five stars. Owners rating four out of five stars. I'll just read the overall rating. This is from MCN. The BMW R1200C is a Harley Davidson rival with German engineering. Like most cruisers, it sells on looks. This one had a part in a Bond movie too. Power is pretty modest considering the 1200cc engine, but it's enough. Dynamically, it's better than many cruisers thanks to quality, quality engineering and lightish weight. It's got 61 horsepower, but have a listen. MCN gave it four out of five. However, 
visor down, I believe, gave it two out of five stars. Although, having read through the review from Visor Down, I would say actually there's nothing specifically to be worried about there. There's one bit I wanted to read here. With, and this is just an excerpt from Visor Down. Within two years of its launch, the BMW R1200C had been voted Motorcycle of the Year or Cruiser of the Year in many countries. The ultimate accolade came when the makers of James Bond movie series, renowned for their love of high tech, modern products and innovative designs, selected the bike for 007 to ride in the film Tomorrow Never Dies. The bike was as spectacular as the action. Now, I think this was fairly expensive when it came out. I'm sure if I remember, it was about £11,000 or so. I've had a look on Facebook Marketplace and there's a decent chunk of these available. I've picked one out because it was the same colour from the Bond movie. And I think it works well because it's so unique to this bike. A cream cruiser with what looks like brushed, alumin uh, brushed aluminium and exposed steel by the look of it. To have that colour combination. Here's what I found. Facebook Marketplace, £5,000, 1998 model, BMW R1200C. Have a listen. Selling on behalf of my father, who's no longer able to ride the bike. Very good condition and all as it should be. Currently sawn, so declared off the road. Please contact if you have any further questions. I mean, these have big eight bars really coming up quite high. And I know that if I bought this bike, every time I'd ride it, 